0: Hello and welcome to the Doxology Podcast. I am Lucas Stock. And I'm Jens Nelson. And this is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Join us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life, striving for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. Today, this, I was going to say wonderful Friday. Maybe the weather's bad. I don't know because this is before <laughs> Friday that we're recording. But on this Friday, we are continuing with our beloved Christians of History uh, segment, series, whatever you want to call it. And today, Jens is going to tell us a little bit about Hercules
1: Collins. So why don't you take it away? I would love to. Uh, I would first like to add that I am deeply indebted to Steve Weaver and a big chunk of the work that he's been doing recently in sort of bringing Hercules Collins's life to light uh, in, in doing research um, in looking up, uh, you know, Baptists to, to talk about, I don't know what it is about early Baptists, but you can learn almost nothing about them on social or like on general uh, Google searches. Like, I don't know if I need to find books or articles or academic journals or what, but like Nehemiah Cox, John Smith, um, there was another one. I don't remember Hercules Collins, like all these guys that I was looking up, like there was like their Wikipedia articles have like three sentences. There, um, are these all, like random obscure pages that also have very little, uh, but thankfully Steve Weaver has been doing quite a bit of work, especially on Hercules Collins. So much of what I have to say comes from many works that he's been doing that I was able to find. So, um, we know that Hercules Collins was born July of uh, 1647. Uh, so again, er- Baptist history, a lot of people born in this time period. Uh, he was uh, an English or British particular Baptist. Uh, he was a pastor, theologian. Uh, but like I said, much of his early life, even what we know, is, is virtually lost to history. There's just not a lot that we know about his upbringing, uh, though we do know that he was not very well educated compared to many of his contemporaries. Uh, we also know that he became a Christian relatively young as well. Um, that's really like of everything that I could find personally, that's about all the information that we have. Uh, let's see here. So uh, his theology was really worked out in the the world of, of pastoral ministry um, during a 26 year pastorate. So from seven, uh, 1676 to 1702, he was a pastor, uh, at London's oldest Baptist church. Uh, this church was actually first pastored by a guy named John Spilsbury, um, but Hercules was the third pastor of this historic congregation, which is still in existence. I came to realize, which is pretty impressive. Um, but later other, maybe these names ring a bell to you, but other notable pastors are Abraham Booth and Ernest Kevin. Um, so again, all these really obscure old Baptists that very few people know about. Um, but half of Collins's pastorate was during the period of persecution uh, of the dissenters. As we've been saying over and over again, especially in England, there were a number of people who were dissenting from the Church of England, uh, these nonconformists, Baptists, Anabaptists, Methodists, whatever. Uh, and so really the uh, half of his pastoral ministry took place under this persecution prior to the act of toleration, which was, I guess, established in 1689. Um, Collins himself was even jailed on a number of occasions for his nonconformity, but his most notable was in 1684. Uh, He was also a signatory on the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. Um, So again, when we're talking about early Baptist history, Uh, He was a a particular Baptist as opposed to a general Baptist, which means he was more Calvinistic in his theology. Uh, But his, I don't know, basically between 1661 and and 1665, Parliament passed. So in in England, Parliament passed a series of laws known as the Clarendon Code, uh, which were designed to enforce uh, conformity to the worship of the Church of England. So the king was passing these, these, these codes, these decrees, saying, like, these are the things that you have to do as it pertains to your worship. Uh, the Corporation Act of 1661 required that a person had to have received the sacrament of the Lord's Supper in the Church of England within the past year to be eligible for, uh, to become an elected official, basically. So if you wanted to serve in Parliament, you had to have received the Lord's Supper in the Church of England. Eligible persons were also required to take oaths of allegiance and supremacy to the king of England. So maybe think of like a modern day, pledge of allegiance or something. So you're giving an oath, declaring your allegiance and supremacy to the king. Uh, The act of uniformity of 1662 resulted in the ejection of approximately 2000 Puritan ministers from their pulpits, since it required complete subscription to the book of common prayer. So if you weren't subscribing to the Book of Common Prayer in England during this time, you were ousted from your pulpit, more or less. Uh, So most Puritan ministers resigned rather than conform to these demands. So again, about 2000 were affected. Um, The Conventicle Act of 1664 forbade the assembling of five or more persons for religious worship other than in the Church of England. So again, I'm just trying to like give you some backstory, give you a little bit of the the world that Hercules Collins and others were living in as they sought to worship outside the Church of England. So if you were trying to gather with five or more people, uh, it was forbidden. So in essence, any dissenting church was outlawed. If you were if you were not a part of the Church of England, your church was not legal. Uh, so the the Five Mile Act of 16. Uh, 65 forbade any non-conforming preacher or teacher to come within five miles of a city where he had previously served as a minister or any incorporated town. Like that's pretty severe. Like the, again, if you recall a couple weeks ago, we talked about some people um, who had been uh, basically fl- fleeing to Amsterdam. So like, if you were wanting to come back, you couldn't even come within five miles of a city where you used to minister. Like that's how severe some of these laws were. Um, but basically each of these acts were aimed at stamping out both dissenters and Catholics, uh, Baptists were particularly hit hard by these laws since they made their, um, basically their, their conscientious worship of God illegal because many Baptists were basing their, um, dissension on conscience of being able to worship freely, uh, the king and, and others were saying, well, we're going to basically make it illegal for you to do what your conscience is saying you ought to do, which is why many fled. Uh, Hercules Collins specifically, though, was uh, a relatively prolific author despite not being very well educated. Uh, he he authored at least 12 very distinct works. Uh, his most famous, most likely, and this is actually the first time I ever heard of him when I was a youth pastor uh, I, I developed an app. I don't know if you even remember that, Lucas, but I made an app for the youth group that like, it was a place for them to get information, watch sermon videos, get lessons and questions. But I, I created a podcast within this app. And one of the segments was going through Hercules Collins's, um an Orthodox catechism. I do
0: remember that. I, do, I did not remember that that was what you were going to go through, but I do remember like right it, that was I remember it was I literally remember sitting in Lou Malnati's, yeah. the, like like an hour before we left Chicago yes uh, and you and you had like just gotten it like had just gone through the app store so you were able to like pull it up it wasn't fully done yet but um but yeah I didn't I didn't realize that that was that you were going to read through or you know go through or walk through that that's pretty cool I didn't yeah
1: Yeah, I forget how far I made it because the the app is no longer even accessible. I think after I left, no one wanted to keep up with the work. And so they didn't want to pay to keep it going the next year. So after the year subscription that it had. But anyway, that's another story. Uh, But basically, I went like question by question through the catechism. And and the reason being is I was trying to find something in the Baptist world because there's the Heidelberg, there's the Westminster, there's you know, Luther's stuff. I was, tr- because I was at First Baptist Church, I was find- trying to find something that was Baptistic. And a- as I said here, his his most famous work is an Orthodox Catechism, which was published in 1680. Interestingly, it's a, basically a, an edited version of the Heidelberg. Um, so as a Baptist, Collins obviously revised the section on Baptism, Uh, as well as making a a number of other stylistic changes, which I, I think you can basically chalk it up to, um, being tailored to his congregation that he was ministering in. I don't have like an outline detailed list of what, what's different, but kind of like the 1689 is based on the Westminster. The Orthodox catechism uses the Heidelberg as its basis, uh, Collins, interestingly, also added the Nicene and Athanasian creeds. So within not just because I should I should say the Heidelberg is at least part of it, very structured around the Apostles Creed. So on top of the Apostles Creed, Collins adds in uh, Nicene and Athanasian creeds, which we've actually as a podcast, Lucas, we've gone through all these creeds. So if you want to know more about them, go back to our other episodes and you can find them there. Um, but perhaps this was done to emphasize the continuity of these persecuted, um, maybe misunderstood particular particular Baptists and the movement that they were a part of as being within the orthodoxy of the past. It's as though Collins is saying like, hey, even though we're being persecuted by the Church of England, even though our, our religion, uh, our religious practice is illegal, um, we think that we're a part of this greater body of believers. So in a, in a maybe a- anachronistic sense, they were arguing for their Catholicity for their recognition as being part of the universal church. Uh, There's also an appendix um, that adds like a kind of, I think we've mentioned this before, um, but it adds a little interesting anecdote from a historical perspective. But um, basically in this appendix, Collins argues for the biblical duty of congregational singing. Which really was an important development in the late te- in the late 17th century. I can't remember what episode. I want to say maybe Benjamin Keach, but in a recent Christians of History, we talked about how it was actually like a big debate whether whether we should sing if we're going to sing. What do we sing? Are we going to sing just the Psalms? Are we going to sing hymns? Um, so in this creed, he argues in an appendix like there there's a biblical case for congregational singing and not just of Psalms but of hymns as well. So that's kind of an interesting, again, anecdote of history because no one would ever second guess congregational singing today. Yeah. If I remember correctly, I'm trying to
0: don't quote me on this. I can't remember if Augustine was opposed to singing or just opposed to instruments. But he had an issue with music because he thought music was too like emotional and might be tempted to distract you from the worship of God or something.
1: <laughs> so interesting. Technically,
0: you know, arguing for congregational singing. Might go against their uh, their catholicity that the the creeds are supposed to be you know
1: who knows it's possible <laughs> I know yeah it, it's quite possible um, but basically over the next twenty two years Collins produced eleven more very um, more I guess well respected works uh, that mainly focused on issues of separation within the Church of England uh, he had some works about believers baptism infant baptism. He also wrote a number of works from prison. So when he was a number of his imprisonments, he he was able to produce. um, There was one about um, remaining faithful, even in your persecution, you know, as you're enduring suffering, like what does it look like for the pastor, for the lay person to, to endure? Um, But it's pretty, it's, I don't know. It's pretty, it's pretty interesting. um, You know, given his context, given the moment that he lived in history um, I, I I struggle a little bit, and this is a little bit off script, but I, I struggle with this brand of particular Baptists because today particular Baptists, Reformed Baptists, it's, it's kind of the same camp. A lot of Reformed Baptists these days have a lot of opinions about the current political culture. Um, we'll say maybe some pastors up in Canada who were jailed for, quote unquote, preaching the gospel. Um Maybe my commentary on it is like, no one's being jailed for preaching the gospel. They're being jailed for breaking um, government mandates and laws surrounding something else completely. And he was given every right to comply. Anyway, I don't like the comparisons that are drawn between this and what's going on now. So between Hercules Collins's and his contemporaries case and between ours, um, because when these people were being thrown in jail, it was because they were going against a direct order like you cannot. Gather! You cannot teach. You cannot believe this. You cannot do these things. To my knowledge, no government, especially in the West, has ever said that pastors can't preach, that they can't teach, that they can't gather. Um, I know during the coronavirus, they, there there are limitations to gathering, but imagine and if a government just, just to go clarify, ahead. governments have said
0: that. But you're talking about you're right. talking about. Currently. pandemic related restrictions. Right. Just, I know what you're saying. That was obvious. Just want to make sure that that's on record that like, to be clear, don't take what he said out of context. Cause that right. would be a sin because that would be misrepresenting what he was very obviously talking about. And I don't want right. to avoid that. <laughs>
1: right. And I know, and this, this is a much, much, much deeper, more convoluted conversation that we're going to get into here today. Um, I'm just trying to say that th- the moments in history in which we find ourselves though bear similarities, there are also very big and real differences. And it's difficult to do a one-to-one comparison. And so as we think about our own contexts, and that's part of why we do Christians of History, we look back down the tunnel of time to see how did people live faithfully where God had them? What did it look like for men like Hercules Collins, Benjamin Keech, um, Nehemiah Cox? What did it look like for them to live, to minister, to to do the Christian life in, in England, when it was illegal, what does it look like for Christians living in America, living in Canada, um, when there are restrictions, when there are governmental um, health regulations uh, prescribing how and when we ought to gather? Like Those are, those are important conversations that need to be had, and, and I think that there's uh, a, a time and a place to do so. Um, again, my, my whole point was like, sometimes it just makes me uncomfortable when, when people now just sort of like impose what's happening now onto things that happened in the past and being like, look how valiant we're currently suffering. Um, I think Hercules Collins would have been pretty upset with people making these comparisons based on some of the things that I read. Um, but basically Hercules Collins died October 4th, 1702 at the early age of 56. His funeral sermon was preached by Jean Peugeot, um, who described Collins as follows. It was much longer. I, I just took like the first couple of sentences, but it was really good. Um, but it says, he, begun, uh, sorry, he began to be religious early and continued faithful to the last. He was not shocked by the fury of persecutors, though he even suffered imprisonment for the name of Christ. And it went on from there to talk about his faithfulness to the Lord, his faithfulness in ministry. Um but really, the New Testament itself tells us, do not be shocked when many trials come upon you, for if they persecuted us, if they persecuted Christ, will they not persecute you? Those things are bound to happen um, for for Collins, for those that were around and near him. It's an interesting moment in history, especially, <laughs> we keep coming to this, but especially when we think about where Lucas and I are theologically in our traditions today, as someone who finds his roots in the Church of England, Lucas, and as me, someone who finds my roots in the particular Baptist. So we we, we have we, we I think we would have you know maybe had some collision back in the day um, but but now um, are able to have fellowship to be brothers to discuss theologically but but anyway, that's a, a, a nutshell, a tiny glimpse into the life of of Hercules Collins who um, you know I think is a good example of, of faithfulness and ministry, of dedication to the Lord, of um, really even being, I don't know the the word trailblazer seems kind of like cheesy, but like to be somebody who who made many very important foundational Baptistic claims, and I think without men like Hercules Collins, perhaps Baptists wouldn't have persisted and and lasted to this point today. So mm. yeah, that's that's Hercules Collins, not to be confused with Hercules the you know Disney character. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. I, I was confused
0: really this whole time What who you were talking about. <laughs> uh, thank you for sharing and thank you, dear listeners, so much for tuning into today's episode of the Doxology Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you can hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at Doxology Podcast or shoot us an email at doxologypodcast at gmail.com uh, with any feedback, questions, or future episode ideas, whether that's a normal Tuesday topic or ooh, Tuesday topic, nice, or... Uh, a person that you'd like to dive into in a biography on the Friday Christians of History Um, we'd love to hear from you no matter what you have to say and until next time, we'll see you